Welcome back to The Scoop, a new podcast from St. Martin in the Fields Episcopal Church located in Brookhaven, Georgia. The Scoop features Sunday sermons, musical offerings, stories of our church community and beyond, and so much more, right from the open doors of St. Martin in the Fields Episcopal Church. Today's Scoop episode features May 29th's Sunday sermon preached by St. Martin's very own Associate Rector, the Reverend Colin Brown. We hope you enjoy! Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come among us now. And in our inadequate words and our scattered attention, remind us that you are here and that these are holy moments. Amen. Please. It took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to say today. I started the week like I always do when I'm preaching. I read and reread the gospel passage appointed for today from John 17. I started making some preliminary notes. I thought I kind of already knew what I wanted to preach about. But then Tuesday's school shooting happened in Texas, and suddenly whatever I had planned to say today sounded trite and inadequate. So I started over. I came in here on Wednesday afternoon and I lit 22 candles in the votive stand back there. And then I knelt and I prayed the litany in the wake of a mass shooting, which gets updated by a group called Bishops Against Gun Violence every time a mass shooting happens. In small print, it's over seven pages long, and it took me over 10 minutes to pray it. And after I finished, I just sat here in a pew for a while, and I listened for the Holy Spirit to give me the right words to say. But the only words that would come were words of rage and confusion and helplessness. Rage over the senseless killings of 19 fourth graders, the same age as my daughter, Mary Grace. Just 10 days after the senseless killings of 10 black folks who were just trying to buy groceries for the week. Confusion over the fact that we seem to be uniquely unable to do anything to stop these tragedies from happening over and over and over again. And helplessness because I'd had to drop my kids off at school on Wednesday morning. And as justified as those feelings might be, rage and confusion and helplessness don't often make for effective preaching. So I found myself at a loss. What do I preach to these people whom I dearly love in the wake of such a horrific tragedy? What do I say in the midst of so much that's broken, so much that just seems unsalvageable, that will give people a measure of comfort and hope. But then finally, yesterday morning, well beyond the time when I like to have my sermon finished for the week, I realized how arrogant my anxiety was. It's not up to me to say the right words to you. Jesus has already said the right words to all of us. 
In the reading appointed today from the Gospel of John, we find Jesus at prayer. Over the last few chapters of John, in what's known as the farewell discourse, Jesus has been preparing his disciples for what's to come. His death and his resurrection and his ascension, which we celebrated on Thursday of this week. He's preparing them for him to be gone. Jesus has reassured his disciples. He's offered them his peace. He's promised them the Holy Spirit. He's prayed for them. And now in today's passage, he's praying for us. Jesus says to the Father, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This breathtaking prayer is for us, the church. Jesus' deepest prayer for his church is that our unity and love for one another will bear witness to the unity and love shared between the Father and the Son. His prayer is that our love will serve as a reflection of the love of a God who loved the world so much that he sent his only Son so that the world might have life. Sounds like a pipe dream, doesn't it? This vision of what it means to live faithfully in the midst of a broken world seems so far from our current reality. Where horrific tragedy, every horrific tragedy that makes the news causes us to retreat quickly into our predictable postures. To pontificate on social media about how if the other side weren't such heartless idiots, this sort of thing could have been prevented. I get it. I deleted a smug and sarcastic post of my own this week. This unity for which Jesus prays is hard. It's hard because, as my friend Stuart Higginbotham said this week, it requires us to have the spiritual courage to pause together. And instead of immediately retreating to our political corners and pointing fingers at the other side, to just feel the pain of these unspeakable tragedies requires us to take the time and the space as the body of Christ to allow our hearts to be broken when it's much more tempting to try to avoid the experiencing the fullness of the pain by distracting ourselves with talking about what other people could have done differently. But I wonder... If we summoned the spiritual courage to allow our hearts to be broken, if we would start to see our political posturing and finger-pointing for what it is, a form of resignation, a denial of our own responsibility, a suggestion that the unity for which Jesus prays is only possible if the other side will just come around our way of thinking. I wonder if we allowed our hearts to be broken together, if we would 
begin to see each other not as people on opposite sides of a political divide, but as Jesus sees us, as parts of the same whole, bound together by love and sent out in love to a broken world. Because, see, if we stop and we allow ourselves to feel some measure of the pain that God feels over the hatred and death and brokenness in the world, we will also allow ourselves to feel a measure of the love that God feels for this world. And then the unity for which Jesus prays starts to become easier because once we've allowed ourselves to feel and experience God's love and God's heartbreak over the lost and broken lives of God's beloved children, we start to be unable to deny the ways in which we all behave in opposition to God's desires for the world. And when our denial ceases, and we stop pointing the finger away from ourselves, then unity can start to take root. If someone asked me to boil down the essential message of the Bible into one sentence, it would be this. That God's deepest desire and intention for all of God's people is abundant life. Over and over again throughout scripture, God shows God's people the way to have abundant life. God sent Moses to lead the people out of bondage and into abundant life in a land flowing with milk and honey. God sent the prophets to call the people back out of their selfishness and greed and back into the way of abundant life. God even loved the world so much that God came and died so that we could have life. And yet we still live in a broken world with so much heartbreakingly needless death. We still live in a world where bombs destroy whole villages. Where innocent people are gunned down while they're just trying to buy groceries for Sunday dinner. Where school children cower under tables covered in the blood of their friends. There's so much death that it's easy and even tempting to become numb. But in the face of all that hatred and death, Jesus prays for our unity. In the face of all of that hatred and death, Jesus prays that we will be witnesses for God's dream of abundant life. And unity requires the courage to resist the temptation to numbness. Unity requires that we are honest with ourselves and with each other about just how unspeakably heartbreaking the loss of each of these precious lives is. We can disagree wholeheartedly about the technical solutions to all of this carnage, and I know that many of us do. But unity requires that as Christians, we agree that these slaughters are untenable. We agree that they are wholly inconsistent with God's intention for creation. And that we agree that living faithfully demands 
demands that we as a community embody the love of Christ for all people by working towards a world where no one has to live in fear of being shot at school or in the grocery store or anywhere else. Just before he goes to his death, Jesus prays that we all may be one. Just as he and the Father are one. And that our unity will serve as a witness of God's love for a broken world. We are sent together into the world as the body of Christ. To work toward the fulfillment of God's deepest desire for all people. That they may have life and have it more abundantly. Amen.